Well, my name's Alan, and uh, I'm thrilled to be uh, talking about what we're calling the whole shebang. We're spending all of 2010 looking at the grand epic story of God, the overall story of God that is, that is in Scripture and then it is in the time between where the story of the Bible ended to where we are now and then there's a story that goes on into the future. This is the whole shebang. We are in week 15. They say never do a series longer than seven. And so we're going to do 36. How's that sound? So, uh, yeah, okay. So uh, welcome to uh, week 15. And uh, what we're in right now is we're, we're actually going to be wrapping up a section entitled the messiah and it's the uh it's the uh, it's the third section in our journey and in the messiah journey we're looking at the person and the story of jesus christ last week we looked at the fact that jesus was not just this phenomenal teacher who who studied and prepared up in an ivory tower and then gave this uh, amazing message to the people and then hid away but he was deeply deeply connected with people particularly his 12 disciples deeply deeply connected with folks and that we can learn from the story from the person of Jesus that the way that we deeply connect with others with our spouse with our kids with uh, people that we are to pour into with our God is by spending time with them we connect deeply by spending time we only have 1,440 minutes or chiclets in a day and we get to decide what we do with them so this morning here, we're going to spend the next uh, 30 or so chicklets wrapping up the Messiah piece and really looking at the most important part of the Messiah story. As we launch into that, I invite you to bow your heads with me. Father, we ask here for, uh, for clarity. Would you come and, uh, and, bring, and bring clarity to this room? Bring clarity to whatever, whatever I have to say, God, that you would... Free this place of confusion. God, we all have questions. We all have um, um, maybe some thoughts and opinions that aren't grounded in Scripture, in, in your story, and your truth. And, and God, we all have so many things going on in our lives that just distract us from your truth. And so right now, God, I pray that you would give me focus, that you would give uh, each one of us the ability and the opportunity in this moment to connect with you powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm confident that most of you have heard some version of a God story. Some version of a... Now, typically in church, it's referred to as a, a testimony. That's, a, that's kind of a churchy word. Here's someone's testimony. I, we don't say, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I don't know why we use the word testimony, but I like the phrase God story. What is your God story? Because each and every one of us has a God story. Even if your God story is... I want nothing to do with God. Well, then that's still a God story because there's a reason why you would say, I want nothing to do with God. And so I love the concept of a, of a God story. What I want to do here is take literally one minute and I want to show you a made-up example of a typical God story. Now, this is made up. It's Bob, played by our very own Dave Shrine. And uh, this is a, a video uh, kind of a, gen, uh, a typical God story slash testimony. Let's take a look at this. Hi, I'm Bob. I'm an engineer at Intel. Growing up, my family, we didn't take God seriously. We went to church every once in a while, but we didn't take Him seriously. 
There is one instance, though, where I remember some friends inviting me to come listen to a preacher talk about God. As I listened, I realized he was challenging me in new ways to think about life differently. It's more than just numbers and engineering and the way things fit together. That night, I prayed a prayer of commitment. I haven't been the same person since. I can also tell you that since that day, life hasn't been perfect. It doesn't roll perfectly, but there's a peace knowing that God loves you and that you can take his promises with you anywhere you go. There you go. Now, I'm not sure uh, an employee at Intel would dress like that, but, but he, 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 he's got a great story, right? It is a story of, I heard the message, I uh, want to be committed to God, and I know that, uh, that God wants to be with me. It's, it's a great story. It's pretty generic. And I have a little pet peeve that I want to share with you uh, this morning. I, I, it's just somewhat of a pet peeve. It's sort of the, the generic nature of so many God stories. That they just, we just so often, we Christians, for those of you who would fit into that category here today, we say the same things all the time, and sometimes that language and that wording that we learn from one another, it just kind of loses some of its meaning. Why can't we say things in a very fresh, real way using our own words? Sometimes I wish we would do that. I hear so many kind of... Um, God story versions that don't go into the depths of what's really happening in your heart. If somebody wants, is going to hear, listen to your God story, they don't want to hear a cookie cutter version of, of who God is. They want to hear what's going on with you. What about your heart? What has God done in your life? How, does, how do you experience God? Now that's just kind of a little bit of a, little bit of a tangent piece. But, but there is this generic version of the God story that we sometimes experience. In fact, it could be even a timeless thing. Bob may not have uh, told his story now. He could have told his story 45 years ago, and it may look like this. Hey, what's up? I'm Bob, man. Bob. I'm a uh, organic candle maker, if you know what I'm saying. Beeswax. Beeswax in the candles. So, I grew up in a house, you know what I'm saying, man? I grew up in a house that didn't take God seriously. We didn't take Him seriously. But we only went to church sometimes, okay? But when I was 16, man, when I was 16, my friends, they invited me to go check out this dude who was talking about God. And so I went. He challenged me to know that there's, that there's more than just a righteous candle out there, man. That there's more than just... Uh, righteous, uh, you know, bees, man, organic in the fields, making them candle wax. So I prayed this prayer of commitment, right? After the dude challenged me, I prayed this prayer of commitment. And I'll tell you what, my life hasn't been perfect, but it's good knowing that God's promises are there and His peace is with me all the time, man. Yeah. Okay, so now we're getting a little bit more personality here with the, uh, with the generic testimony. Basically the same message, and I, I do think it's interesting, it occurred to me as I was watching it, that, that uh, those of us in, in our generation that did not experience the 60s, that's what we think everybody was like. Is that true? I'm just, I'm, okay, okay, <laughs> okay, just, uh, so, uh, but that's kind of a version of Bob's story, same kind of concept. Now, you could have that exact same basic God story 
Not, not only 45 years ago, you can have that same story 700 years ago, and it might look like this. Hello, I'm Robert. I fight alongside William Wallace. Fight the English. Growing up, my home, my house, those inside didn't take God seriously. We went to church every once in a while, but we didn't take him seriously. And then once when I was a wee little lass, I went to church to hear a man talk about God. He spoke and I realized that there's more to this life than just throwing swords at the English. So I prayed the prayer of commitment that night and I gave my life to God. I'm not the same person that I was back then. I go through each day and sure, it's not perfect. But it's great knowing that you have the promises of God and His peace goes with you everywhere you go. Kind of brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? I know some of you picked up on the fact that he grew up as a wee lass. Uh, <laughs> which is a whole you know, transformation story in and of itself. But, but as they say, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. So uh, it's, it's interesting to me that the generic God story can really be seen in a number of different Time errors. Now here's here's the problem. Here's the problem with now you've heard this story three times now. The problem with this God story, with this testimony, is that you could hear that exact same testimony two thousand years ago. Think about that for a second. If all you had was access to the Old Testament, you could hear that story. That story may not have sounded incomplete to you. But there's no mention of Jesus Christ in that story. That's a story about hearing the message. It's a story about wanting to be committed to God. It's a story about believing that even though life isn't perfect, that God is with me. And that's a story that does not require Jesus Christ. So here's the point that I want to make today as we wrap up the Messiah portion of the journey here. That a God story that accurately reflects the whole shebang, the overall grand story of, of God's design for all of humanity, it must include the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It must include that. So, let me first of all talk about the death, and perhaps even remind many of you here, about the death of Jesus Christ. I believe that Anybody who calls him or herself a Christian must at some point wrestle with the question, why did Jesus have to die? If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, you had to have walked out of the movie theater wondering, okay, I don't quite get all that. Why did that have to happen? And with that very important question, I have two answers. I have an honest answer and a pastor answer. My honest answer is, I don't know. Why did Jesus have to die? I just have to be honest. I really don't know. I mean, I, I've read books since I went to cemetery and the whole kind of deal. I know that, that there's a lot that has to do with, with sin and blood and atonement and sacrifice and those kinds of pieces. But God could have redeemed all of humanity any way that He wanted to. Why He chose to do it in that way, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's not my job, though, to fully understand it. 
It, there's no requirement anywhere that says you must completely fully understand this. It's my job to believe it, to embrace it. That doesn't mean I shut my brain off. It just means that based on the information that I have and uh, based on what I see in here and history and the people that I have trusted in my life, I have enough information to believe that story of Jesus on the cross. That is the crux of the whole shebang. That's the story. That's the story. Now, I do have a, a pastor answer to the question as well. And fortunately, Scripture works very hard to help us out with this question. Why did Jesus have to die? And so I, I, won't, I won't go there, but just kind of remind you of back in Isaiah chapter 53. And I've talked about this a couple times throughout the whole shebang. Here's this amazing chapter, hundreds of years before Christ, where the prophet Isaiah talks in specifics about what would happen with Jesus on the cross. And it says that the Lord put the iniquities of us on this person, on Him, on the Messiah. The Lord put our iniquities and put them on Jesus. Paul talks about this as well. And if you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The New Testament starts off with the Gospels. And then it is Acts, Romans, and Corinthians. It's page 792 if you have one of the Bibles that, um, that we give out here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21. This is what Paul has to say. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, sin is this is this peace that is our imperfection, is our mistakes, and it leads to a separation from God. God is the source of life. He is the source of power. He is this, 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 this powerful uh, uh, being, person. And that, that we want to be connected to God. And it is our sin that disconnects us from this power. It's like a laptop computer that when it is unplugged from the power source, it can survive for a while. It can survive for two, four, eight hours uh, on its own battery. It can continue. It can move on for a while. But eventually, it will die if it's disconnected to the power source. And it is our sin that separates us, disconnects us from the power source. And Paul here says that this sin that separates us from God that was all removed from us and laid on the person of Jesus on the cross. That's what the death of Jesus on the cross is all about. Now this is, this is a pretty tricky thing. It really is. The fact that Jesus became sin is a pretty tricky concept. That in that moment, Jesus embraced, took on all sin of all humanity. He became the most hideous, vile being on the planet. He became sin. He became the murderer and the adulterer and the liar and the whore and the pedophile. He became everything that is evil about humanity. 
Martin Luther refers to this as the great exchange. He became sin. Let me read it again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That he took on all our sin on the cross and we took on righteousness. Jesus knew that he had to die. He tried to communicate this to his disciples. They didn't quite get it until long after. Jesus knew that he had to die so that we could be made right with God. That's what the death is all about. But it is not okay for us to give a a head tilt to that and then move on and, and just kind of enjoy and embrace all the benefits of what Christ did on the cross. There is a, an op- a responsibility for us to respond to that, to believe in, to become a follower of, to be a disciple of Christ. And when we are a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, then we do what He did. We do what He did. And He gave His life. Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. This morning I want to look at, at three different Scriptures, and this is number two, so... We won't be bouncing around too much, but so much of Scripture talks about the death and the resurrection of Christ. Right now, I want to go into Mark chapter 8. It's page 690, if you have one of the Bibles we give out. Jesus says this in verse 34, chapter 8, Mark 8, 34. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus says there is a responsibility for us. If we are going to follow Christ, He gave His life. And we in turn must give something up. Fortunately, likely none of us in this room will have to physically give up our lives. It's possible, but very unlikely. Much more likely, each and every one of us is called and challenged to give up something in our lives, to sacrifice in some way, to deny ourselves in some way. You see, love, that's what love is. Love requires sacrifice. That's what makes love, love. If you're dating somebody and you're in those early stages and everything is just absolutely perfect and everything he says and does is oogly perfect and everything she says is ideal and it doesn't even matter what you do or where you go it's all fabulous it's all that's not love that's blissful ignorance is what that is it's a beautiful thing i'm not knocking it i was there for a while it was fabulous and that's what movies are all about and that's all they see that's all we see in the movies and and it's and, and it's and it's a great thing but it's not love love kicks in when you start to have to give something up Love kicks in when it starts to be a sacrifice in some way. And maybe in the dating process, it shows up simply in forms of having to give up which restaurant or which movie that you're going to that you're, that you're see. Some of those kind of choices. Maybe in, uh, in the dating process, maybe it gives up. It's a matter of giving up uh, playing golf every Saturday morning. Just for example, don't throw anything at me. Uh, maybe in the dating process, if you are interested in following 
the, the guidelines of Scripture of how He wants us to enter into an amazing lifetime covenant together, maybe it means giving up for a period of time our natural physical desires to sexually connect with one another. Love requires sacrifice. And then as love matures, the, those sacrifices can turn into other things. And maybe it could come to a point where someone has to give up his or her city that he or she grew up in. Because there's, there's a, 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 an opportunity or calling to go somewhere else. That's one of, the, one of the ways that my wife has shown love to me and to her God. She grew up, spent her whole time, the only city she knew was Cincinnati. But then through circumstances, God called us here to Phoenix. Love requires sacrifice. Or maybe uh, in, in more uh, advanced, maturing love stage, maybe it requires you to give up on a particular career or a particular educational path for the benefit of your family. Not because you're just surrendering and you're just a puppy dog, but because you've, you've decided this is what is in the best interest of those around us. Love requires sacrifice. Maybe it means giving up your collection of those, those ornaments that don't have any faces on them, you know, and, and they're just, uh, the, and it's the woman holding the baby and it's like gray or brown. You know what I'm talking about? Those things. Or it's the woman, she's right next to the, you know what I'm talking about? What are those figurines called? Like little things? What are they? Willow Creek? Willow Creek? Okay, maybe it's those. See, I don't get those. I don't understand those at all. I, don't, I mean, I could take a piece of clay, roll it around, and say, there's the face, and say that'd be $39.99 uh, for that gig. But it, your love may require you to give something up and sell those stupid things. But, but <laughs> it may. I'm not saying that's, that's not the Word of God. That's just, I'm just giving that as an example. And then when kids enter into the picture, there's more of your life that you will have to give up. More of the things that you would like to do with your time, with your money, that you will have to give up. And you do that, why? Because you love this little person that God has brought into your life. Love requires sacrifice. And it's the same thing in terms of how we respond to the death of Christ on the cross. It's the same thing in terms of how we, we give up our lives. We give up a portion of our lives in connection with, in response to, the death of Jesus on the cross. He gave His life. If you cannot think of something that you have given up, that you cannot have, because of your relationship with Christ, then you don't have a relationship with Christ. If you can't think of something that you cannot do because of your relationship with Christ, then you don't have a relationship with Christ. Love requires sacrifice. So, the death of Jesus on the cross provides each and every one of us, all of humanity, with forgiveness. With, forget, with that our sins are, are placed on Him and therefore we get reconnected, plugged back into the power source. It provides us with forgiveness. And forgiveness is a fabulous thing for a while. Because there comes a time when forgiveness becomes frustrating. 
There comes a time when we wake up in the morning and we say, God, I ask for your forgiveness. Once again, for the same thing that I asked for your forgiveness for yesterday. And then we do that again and again and again, month after month, year after year after year after year. And God will forgive us and we ask for forgiveness again and again and again. And for some, that could be a living hell. See, because God doesn't just offer forgiveness. He offers wholeness. He offers power over such things. He wants to give us new life. He wants to make us a new creation. He wants to give us the power to change, to be transformed, to have freedom from our anger and our addictions and our, uh, our, our pornography and our, and our divorce recent or in the long distant past. He wants to give us freedom from those things. A God's story that accurately reflects the whole shebang as outlined in Scripture includes the death of Jesus Christ, but it also includes His what? His resurrection. It has to include His resurrection. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. I love this. Romans chapter 6. If you have one of our Bibles, it is page 772. It goes to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then the book of Acts, then Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. I want to give you time because I'm thrilled that you brought your Bibles. And I hear rustling of pages. And if you want to stall me, just keep on rustling your pages for no reason because I'll wait for you. Awesome. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. We have been united with Him in His death. And uh, being united with Him means that we, we receive, we embrace the forgiveness as well as the response in terms of giving something up. But we are also united with Him in His resurrection. Which means we get to break the cycle of sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness. We get to enter into the power, the restoration, transformation power of the resurrection. It is, it is so important as part of, the, of a God story is embracing and living out the resurrection. Without this piece, the whole thing really is meaningless. Elsewhere, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, he says that unless Christ raised from the dead, my preaching would be useless and so would your faith. He says that if all we had was Christ's death and not His resurrection, we should be pitied more than any other people on this earth. A God story must include both the death and the resurrection of Christ. John Locke, who's a 17th century philosopher, he said this, Our Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity, so great that His being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. We, we embrace and understand His death much more than we embrace and understand His resurrection and the power and the freedom that flow from it. 
that it is, as, as John Locke says, this section is about Jesus being the Messiah. And whether or not He's the Messiah rises and falls on whether or not He rose from the dead. The God story that accurately reflects the story as outlined in Scripture contains both Christ's death and resurrection. Some people have the death part, but not the resurrection part. Some people understand the sacrifice and embrace the forgiveness and they give, 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 give and they are, they are martyrs and in, in some different ways and they get the death part. They get that in a beautiful way sometimes and maybe, maybe not in other times, but they get the death piece. But where's the victory of the resurrection? Some people get the resurrection part without the death part. And that's the... God is great all the time, all the time. God is great. God is great. Woo! Waving our banners, waving our banners. It's blissful ignorance uh, at times if it's all resurrection and no death. Where's the sacrifice piece? What are we giving up? In what way are we laying our life down, our time, our finances, our preferences, our choices for the cause of Christ? As I close here this morning, I just want to find out if there's anybody here, and I don't even find out, I mean, it's, it's your own journey. If there's anybody here in this room who wants to have a God story that accurately and wonderfully includes both the death and the resurrection of Christ. In two weeks, we're going to celebrate baptisms here. And folks who have recently or at some point said, I want to be a follower of Christ. They are going to be baptized. And they're going to connect with what I read about in Romans chapter 6. That in going under the water, they are being united with Christ, His death and the forgiveness that comes from that and the sacrifice and laying down their lives that comes from that. When they come up out of the water, that represents the resurrection and the, the freedom and the victory that comes from that. Forgiveness, which comes from the death, and victory, which comes from the resurrection, are available to each and every one of us, but not each and every one of us choose to embrace it, choose to accept it. Because here's the reality. You could have been coming to church for 10 years. You could love the whole shebang journey. You could love this Messiah section that Jesus met expectations. He fulfilled prophecies. He was an amazing teacher. He connected deeply with people. You could love all of that stuff. But if you don't embrace, believe, get the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will be eternally separated from God, from love. You will spend eternity in hell. I, I got to say it. I know it's not vogue. It's not hip. It's not modern. It's not open-minded to say that. But I don't get to decide what truth is. I don't get to. I care enough about, about you and about this community to, to we, got, we have to embrace this. So we're going to do a, another song as we close here. And I want to put this in your lap. Okay? I want to, this song that uh, the band is going to sing is called Jesus Messiah. And it is absolutely talking about all that we've talked about over the last few minutes. And as you 
listen to or sing or whatever, as you engage with this song, I invite you to think about your God story. Maybe you have death and resurrection locked in. Then let it be a time of worship and celebration for you. But I invite you to, 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 to think through where you are with this. That maybe some of you this morning, you get one but you don't have the other. Maybe, maybe some of you, you really don't have either of them. And I invite you to talk to God about that. You don't need my generic words to invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you, don't need, you don't need that. You don't need my words for that. You, if this is what you want, I want you to pray that in your own clumsy, imperfect way or in your poetic, beautiful way. You just say to God, it, whether there's the death piece or the resurrection piece or both that are not a part of your journey right now. You just, you just talk, pray with God about that in the middle of this song, and I'll come up afterwards and, uh, and close us out. Would you stand, please? I want to pray with us, and then we're going to sing this song together. Father, we are thankful this morning for your story. God, we, we are thankful for the sacrifice that you made through, through Jesus on the cross. Sometimes we become so familiar with that that it loses its power maybe. It loses its, its oomph. So God, I pray that your presence here would, would bring great power. That we would embrace, think about, spend some time being thankful for Jesus' death and his resurrection. Father, I pray for those in this room who need to experience the forgiveness that is offered through Jesus' death on the cross, those who, who need to, to understand the sacrificial response to that. I pray for those here in this room who perhaps need to or want to embrace the power and the victory of your resurrection. And for those perhaps who who need both. God, would you come and, and give each of our hearts words to say to you as we worship, as we pray to you. In Jesus' name.